Isaiah 37. Is this on? You hear me? Okay. I have such a head cold this morning, I can't hear myself, so. Who knows what I might say this morning? Could be interesting. Isaiah 37. Bear, bear with me now. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, but uh, we need to get this whole story. Isaiah chapter 37, verse number 1. As always, if you don't have your Bible, there's one in front of you there somewhere. Uh, I hope you'll grab that and follow along as we read. And so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terhakeh, king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezif and the people of Eden and uh, who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. And read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherim, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have reproached the Lord. And said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the heights of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest height to its fruitful forest. 
I have dug and drunk water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it, from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle on your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shall an, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We mentioned it once today. We mentioned it again now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have these wonderful historical accounts that tell us of how you have done such great and mighty things in uh, the lives of your people. Help me now as uh, as we... we uh, Tackle this wonderful story in the life of Hezekiah. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for any sin that stands in the way of my being used today. Help me, Lord, to say what I should and nothing more. Help me to say everything I should as boldly as is needed. And just uh, keep me accurate and practical and right as I try to preach today. And uh, just help us all, Lord, to have ears to hear today. There's a message here for all of us, I'm sure. And so I pray you'd speak to us. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. God's people, the Jews, had not always had a king. You remember some of their history. They had been miraculously delivered uh, from Egypt after spending 400 years in captivity there. You can read about that period of their history in the book of Exodus. They had conquered the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And you can read about that in the book of Joshua. Once in the land, there was this long period of time where they were in the land, uh, but they weren't necessarily always worshiping and serving God as they should. They would serve God for a while, and then they would fall away and perhaps be led into worshiping idols or, or some other uh, dishonoring thing that they would do. And God would send uh, some neighboring tribe or some neighboring group of people upon them and carry them off into captivity or enslave them. And then he would raise up a judge when they cried out for deliverance, and those judges would deliver them. And this was a cycle. If you read the book of Judges, you see this cycle repeated over and over and over again. They would fall into apostasy, and God would judge them by sending some other people group to come and cause them uh, destruction. And then they would raise up a judge who would deliver them, and the cycle would be repeated. That's the book of Judges. 
But eventually, the people wanted to be like the other people around them, so they asked for a king. And they sought a king to rule over them. And the first king who ruled over Israel was Saul. That's the book of 1 Samuel in your Bibles. He disobeyed God, and so God removed him from being king and replaced him with David. And, of course, King David is arguably the best, greatest of all the kings that Israel ever had. If you go to Israel today in Jerusalem, there is a huge statue to King David, which is uh, it's quite nice to look at. Upon David's death, his son Solomon took over the kingdom. And under Solomon, the kingdom of Israel reached perhaps its greatest heights of wealth and prosperity and, and geography. Uh, that was probably their absolute golden age. You can read about those in First and Second Samuel in your Bibles. But then Solomon died, and his son Rehoboam took the throne. And, of course, we've talked about this before. Rehoboam was just every bit as foolish as his father was wise. And so under his watch, almost immediately into his reign, the kingdom split into two. Uh, the ten northern tribes were thereafter referred to as the kingdom of Israel. And the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were referred to as the kingdom of Judah. The history of those two kingdoms plays out in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles in your Bibles. And when we come to the end of those books in the Bible, we learn that the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria, carried away captive. That happened somewhere around 722 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah lasted a bit longer, but it was eventually captured and conquered and carried away captive by the Babylonians. And that was in about 569 B.C. All that history I tell you because the incident that we just read about when Hezekiah was king uh, took place about 701 B.C. So it was after the Assyrians had already conquered Israel and carried them away captive, and yet before Judah had fallen to Babylon. After Solomon's death and after the kingdom had split in two, the northern kingdom of Israel had many, many kings. Every single one of them was bad, ungodly. The southern king of Israel had many kings, and most of them were good. Most of them strove to worship God. And Hezekiah was, uh, was one of the good ones. He was actually one of the very best of all the kings of Israel. If we had time this morning, we'd tell you many things about Hezekiah. You could read about him here and, and, uh, and uh, over in Chronicles and Kings as well. But in this passage that we've read today, I see a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. I read this in my devotions a few days ago, and I thought this was really an interesting thing. First of all, we see here Hezekiah's having a bad day. A terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. The very people who had destroyed and carried away captive the northern kingdom of Israel just a few years prior were now threatening him and the southern kingdom of Judah. The armies of Assyria had come, and we look at uh, chapter 36, I think it is, in verse number 1. Yeah, for chapter 36 and verse number 1, we see that they had come and they had defeated some of the fortified cities of Judah. And so it was a very real and very credible threat. And now they stood before Jerusalem and were threatening to capture that as well. As we saw when we read this, God intervened and it did not happen. God did send them back, turn them back to deal with some problems at home. But before they left... The Rabshakeh, which I don't understand that word really, but it basically means the commander that was there in, in charge of this army. Before they left, 
to head back home. They sent a threatening letter to Hezekiah. And basically, here's what that letter said. It said, uh, don't think that we're that you're off the hook here just because we have to go deal with some stuff back home. We're coming back, and when we come back, we're going to mop the floor with you. We're going to wipe this place out, and we're going to take you captive. No other God has been able to deliver anybody from our hands, and neither will your God be able to deliver you from our hands. So Hezekiah was not having the best of days, and he faced a very credible and a very real threat. That's the first thing we see here. The second thing we see, and the thing that I want to concentrate on the most, is what did he do about it? What did Hezekiah do when faced with this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? How did he handle it? Because we all face difficult days, don't we? And when we do, we can all apply the same things that Hezekiah did, the same methods. And it will help us get through our terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days too. So I want you to notice, I'm going to suggest four things. You might see some others in there. That was a long passage of Scripture. There may be some other things, but I'm going to pull four out of there that Hezekiah did when he was faced with this bad day. And the first is in verse number one. He went to the house of the Lord. He went to the house of the Lord. So it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. He went into the temple of God. Now, Isaiah does not record for us here why he went there, but I think we can make some assumptions, can't we, as to why he would have gone there under such a circumstance. I think he would have gone there to worship God. I mean, isn't that why most people would have gone into the temple during that day? That's the primary reason they went then. It's the primary reason people go to church today is to worship God. And I think he also went there to pray, to seek God, to seek answers, to seek help when he was undergoing this difficult thing. When Job was attacked so mercilessly by Satan, when Job lost his family and his friends and his wealth and his health and basically everything that he had, his response, the Bible said, was to worship God. It says in Job chapter 1, verse 20, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I think that's something similar to what Hezekiah is doing here. He was in trouble. He needed help. He needed God's intervention. And so he went to the house of God. When you and I face trouble, hard times, bad days, we need help too. And we need God then, just as Hezekiah did here. And I would suggest that the lesson for us is that we need to remember to turn to the house of God rather than away from it. There are all kinds of reasons why I think the Bible teaches we should be faithful to church. And I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I know you're all sitting here. I see you. But nonetheless, it's good review. One of the reasons that we ought to be faithful to the house of God is because we're told to. We're commanded to. We're exhorted to. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't be like those who fall away from the church. Continue to be faithful. We also have the example of Jesus. Jesus regularly attended services. And we have the common understanding within ourselves. We know it is true that we were not made to be alone. We know that. We know that we need community. We know that we need other people. There might be the odd person who would deny that, but I think most of us would admit it. We need each other. We need each other. And so God has given us the church. He's given us this community. And yet in my experience... And probably in yours too. 
Too many believers, even those who have maybe been faithful to the Lord's house during good times, fall away during the hard times. Bad days come, and rather than run toward the church, they run away from the church, and they fall away. Now, Jesus warned that sometimes that would be an indication that they were never part of us in the first place, that they were never really saved in the first place. Matthew 13, he said, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so Jesus taught there in that parable of the sower and the soils that there are some who will fall away in difficult times as an indication that they were never really saved in the first place. But I've known some, and so have you. I've known many, I think, who I believe were truly saved, and yet they were felled by some trouble. Some difficulty came in their life and just knocked them out of the race. Maybe they crumbled under the darts of Apollyon, and they never seemed to recover. What do you do when you're facing trouble? You ever had a no good, terrible, horrible, very bad day? I sure have. What do you do? Do you run to God or from Him? Do you run to His church or away from His church? I would hope that we would learn from Hezekiah that even on the worst of days, we ought to go to the house of the Lord. Second thing I see here that he did is in verse number two. Verse number two and the verses just immediately following it, he looked to the word of the Lord. So he went to the house of the Lord, he looked to the word. Of the Lord. We've talked about this several times this morning. I think I've prayed it twice today how thankful we are for the Bible. And we are so privileged as a people to have the Bible. It's an amazing thing. I say it over and over and over again, and I know that your eyes glaze over when I say it, but it's so true. We are so blessed to have the Bible. Uh, we have our prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, and we have always on, on, on during the prayer meeting, we have a time when we're thanking God and praising and and uh, sharing things that we're thankful for. And almost every single Wednesday, somebody says, I'm thankful for the Word of God. And we ought to be. We ought to be. You see, Hezekiah didn't have the completed Bible. He had some of it. He had much of the Old Testament that was available to him. Some of those God used to write the Old Testament were alive and kicking during his day. Isaiah was one of them. And so Hezekiah sent men to Isaiah, sent him to have him pray, but also to seek from him what was the Word of the Lord. I will never forget personally the worst, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day that I have faced to date. Uh, and most of you know what it was. It was not just a single day. It was rather the day my wife died and the days following that, that whole period, that dark days, painful days. I'll never forget that. Many of you have faced such days. Kathy faced such days when she lost her husband to cancer. Some of you have faced cancer. Some of you are facing it right now. We have some members of our church, beloved members of our church, that are facing it. Some of you have faced financial hardship, some the crumbling of a marriage, some the loss of a loved one. But when I went through those days, those dark days after Beth died, I'll tell you what, I found wonderful comfort in God's Word. I cannot describe how valuable God's Word was to me. I will never forget my friend, Pastor Don Davies, calling me on the phone. And I've shared this with some of you before. But... Uh, he just wanted to let me know that he had read a verse in his devotions that day, and he wanted to share it with me. And that verse was from Second Timothy. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Here I was in the middle of the worst battle of my life, spiritually, absolutely feeling beaten to death. And he just calls me up and says, I just want to share this verse with you. You, therefore, must endure hardship 
as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I do not know why it comforted me so, but it comforted me like nothing I, I can remember in my life. And to this day, whenever some bad thing comes up in my life or some bad day happens, that verse comes into my mind. The Word of God comforts. I'll never forget my sister, Colina Boyer, sharing a verse with me. So encouraged me that it made it into the little book I wrote on grief. It was a verse from Lamentations, Lamentations 3.32, Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. That, that was like balm to me, and I, it just really encouraged me. So, brothers and sisters, when we're facing terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, don't put your Bible on the shelf. Pick it up. Open it on those days. It will help you. And you will be reminded of something Billy Graham once said. He said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. And that's what we learn as we open the Word of God. I mean, think about it. If we were going through some terrible trial in our life right now, and we opened up the Bible to Isaiah chapter 37, say we just came upon this passage and read this story, would this not have us on shouting ground before very long whatsoever? I mean, think about it. Look at the deliverance God wrought. The Assyrian army, with all their threats, did not touch Jerusalem. God turned them around and sent them packing, and they never touched Jerusalem. I love God's words to Sennacherib in verse number 29. He said, because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. I love that picture. I'm going to put a hook in your nose and drag you back the way you came. This morning I let uh, Kathy's dog Mason out to uh, do his stuff in the morning. And we have a cable on the back door that we put him on. He always does the same thing, every single time. He goes tearing out there, barking his head off, and almost snaps his neck off at the end of that chain. And when I, when I saw that this morning, I was, I'd been studying this, and I thought about it, that's exactly it. I'm going to just snap you right back. You're not going to get anywhere. I love that. I love his promise to Hezekiah in verses 33 through 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. How would we not be encouraged when we see how God fought for them and how he fights also for us? And what? Can we say about the astonishing miracle in verse number 36? Did you notice verse number 36? Did that go over your head? I hope not. Look at that. The angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead, 185,000. Have you mulled that number around in your mind? Anybody know how many seats there are in the Ohio State University Horseshoe Stadium? Anybody know? How many? No. 104,944 seats. Okay. Picture that, picture that stadium packed full. If you've watched the Ohio State University game on television or bed there, picture it packed full. On this night, the angel of the Lord killed nearly twice that number of people. Just like that. They woke up in the morning and there they were. Dead corpses. I just think that's an astonishing picture. I mean, think about it. That is more than were killed in World War I and the Korean War combined, American casualties at least. That's two times the number killed in the Vietnam War, 185,000 single-handedly killed by the angel of the Lord. That's my God. That's my defender. That's the one who fights for me. 
And when we read this, how are we not encouraged? How are we not encouraged to see how, how, how God does such things in the midst of our own trials? We come away from the Bible after reading such things, knowing, as David knew when he stood looking up at Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Well, so Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord. He, he looked to the word of the Lord. In verses 14 and following, we see that he prayed to the Lord. And his prayer in those verses is wonderful. He sought God's help. He expressed faith that God alone could help. He prayed. It's a good prayer to study. Spurgeon said one time, Prayer bends the omnipotence of heaven to your desire. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. I love that quote. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Corey Tenboom said, and I think we have this one in your bulletin right now on prayer meeting, prayer meeting announcement. Corey Tenboom said, The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. And another whose name I've forgotten, I I don't know who said this, said, when prayer becomes your habit, miracles become your lifestyle. Never give up on prayer, no matter what comes your way. Oh, that we get hold of that. Oh, that we get hold of the power of prayer. Oh, that I would, if I could just get hold of the power of prayer, a little prayer to our big God can have a huge impact. Now, I suppose of the various things that Hezekiah did, and we're, going to, we're mentioning four here this morning, and I suppose of the, of the ones that we've mentioned so far, this is the most obvious. I think most of us, when we're faced with a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, we do kind of instinctively pray, don't we? Somebody said that, uh, they, they wrote recently, I miss 9-12. And then they went on to explain that uh, the day after 9-11 and the horrible things that happened in New York on 9-11, Our country was united. There were no political parties. We were Americans. We were all one people fighting a common enemy. Remember that? I miss that, too. I have to admit I miss it. But there was something else happening in the days following 9-11. Churches were full. People were praying who never prayed any other time. Politicians were praying. Celebrities were praying. Everybody was praying. And thinking back on those days, I'm reminded we might not necessarily pray much at other times, but we do manage to find our prayer clauses when we have bad days. Most of us, anyway. It is, it is kind of a common thing. Maybe that's one of the reasons God allows those days in the first place. Because it does cause us to turn to Him. Hezekiah took the threats of his enemy to God in prayer. And God heard him and did away with the threat. He delivered Jerusalem from annihilation and he annihilated the aggressors. This is described in Second Chronicles 32 also. And there it says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. And then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. And so he returned shamefaced to his own land. There's a hymn that we've sung many, many times called Tell It to Jesus. A fellow by the name of James, Jeremiah Eames Rankin wrote that hymn clear back in the 19th century. But it still rings true today. I mean, think of what he said. He said, are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. Do the tears flow down your cheeks unbidden? Have you sins that two men's eyes are hidden? Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Are you anxious what shall be tomorrow? Are you troubled at the thought of dying? For Christ's coming kingdom are you sighing? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Alone. That's what Hezekiah did. 
He went to the house of God. He looked to the word of God. He prayed to God. He took it to God in prayer. Now, if you're like me and you think about those first three things that Isaiah or Hezekiah did, you probably think, well, those are pretty much not really rocket science. They're pretty much obvious things that you would think of that I would say what he would do. Pretty elementary stuff. But I want you to think about the last thing because I think this is one that maybe most of us, I know I, fall down on this one. Because the fourth thing that he did is a lot harder. The fourth thing he did is he focused on the glory of the Lord. Look at verse number 20. The end of his prayer. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord and you alone. He focused on the glory of the Lord. He didn't pray, Lord, save me because I don't want to die. He didn't pray that way. It wasn't a selfish prayer. He didn't say, Lord, I've worked so hard to make this kingdom great. Please don't let it crumble around me. He didn't pray that. He didn't even pray, Lord, don't let little children be killed in the streets. Don't let the people be hurt. He didn't pray, Lord, don't allow my country to be carried away captive. I'm patriotic. I love my country. Don't let it happen. He didn't pray that way. All of those would have been personal prayers. And prayers we might have prayed, I might have prayed. But Hezekiah didn't seek deliverance for his own sake or even for the sake of those who might be harmed, those who might lose property or wealth. He sought deliverance because he wanted God's name to be praised and God to be glorified in the battle. He surrendered himself to God's will. And he sought God's deliverance for God's sake. Some years ago, I was privileged on one of the trips to Israel, to preach a short little sermon in Bethlehem at the Shepherd's Caves. Now, we don't really know where the shepherds were on that first announcement night, but uh, this is an area that's uh, representative, and so they take you there. Do you remember the Shepherd's Caves, Connie? Uh, We went there. And I had the privilege to just preach, you know, five minutes there, something like that. You know, what a privilege to preach in the very place where the shepherds first announced the coming of the Savior. To preach in the very place where uh, Mary laid Jesus for the very first time in the manger. To preach in the very place where the incarnation uh, took place. It was wonderful. And uh, so many things I could have thought of to preach on on that particular day. I could have preached on any of those things. But for some reason, the Lord laid on my heart a passage from the Old Testament about Bethlehem. I've never really understood why I thought about this one, but I did. And so I preached on it. And it, and it was, it was, it was part of a description of David's mighty men in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 that talks about the city of Bethlehem. And in that passage, it tells me about these men. It describes some of their exploits, the men who were, uh, the greatest, most mighty warriors who surrounded King David. And here's, here's the passage that I preached on. Now three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam. And the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Now picture what happened here. They're, they're holed up. The armies of the Philistines are occupying Bethlehem. There's no way to get over there. 
David is sitting there looking across, and he sees over there this, uh, this, this well or whatever, this water that he had drunk maybe in his childhood. And he's got these memories of it, and he says, man, I remember when I used to have that water. That was so good. I would just love to have a glass of that water. And these three crazy mighty men who loved David in an insane amount just went tearing across there, must have fought their way through the Philistines to get to this well, and managed to take a glass of water, fought their way back, and handed it to David. And David then took that glass of water and poured it on the ground. And when I preached this in in Bethlehem, I, I used it as a reminder that sometimes God may take our very, very best efforts and seemingly pour them on the ground. Our greatest sacrifices, our dearest loves, those things we have worked hardest and longest on, and pour them out on the ground. At least it may seem that way sometimes. But these three guys didn't complain when David did that. They had done what they could for their king. And he could do whatever he wanted with them. They were completely and totally surrendered to him and his will. And that was Hezekiah and God. He was completely surrendered to him. All he cared about in his prayer was the glory of God, that his name be praised. And so I wonder, Christian, have you done that when you face terrible, horrible No good, very bad days. When you're going through times of trial. Have you come to a place in your Christian walk where you are more concerned for God's name to be praised than for your particular pain to be eased? Have you been willing to say, Lord, if this trial advances your kingdom, so be it. Glory to your name. It's hard. Have you come to a place in your life where you've knelt before God and prayed, do with me and mine what you will? Only let your name be glorified in me. It's a hard prayer. Have you ever looked at the problem you're dealing with and prayed, Lord, let others be saved because of this? Have you ever prayed as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, not my will, Lord, but thine? Have you done that when facing a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? See, that's what Hezekiah did. It's exactly What he did, he sought the glory of God, the will of God. He prayed, now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, and you alone. And then, of course, we've already mentioned what the results of these things were. Hezekiah's response to his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day was going up to the house of the Lord and looking to the word of the Lord and praying to the God of gods and finally seeking the glory of God. And what was the result? It resulted in an unbelievable deliverance. God hooked his enemy like a fish and tossed him back. He annihilated his enemy's army. He delivered Hezekiah and his kingdom. And I believe, child of God, he will do the same for you.